Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do men in black turn up in poltergeist cases? What's the difference between reincarnation and ancestral memories? Is the existence of ghosts possible under the laws of physics? Well, hello, and welcome to the uh, 982nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and that was Paul. And today we bring you an open line show to answer questions from listeners all over the world on all sorts of paranormal subjects. And you can join us uh, by calling in. That's 401-766-1240 or email Paul at at BehindTheParanormal.com. And as a bonus today, we have with us in studio one of our regular guest co-hosts, none other than Matt Moniz, a scientist who was also a legend in the paranormal community. You've probably seen him on CBS News Inside Edition and other media. Matt, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Why, thank you, gentlemen. Hey, just just coming in the nick of time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So let's uh, get to our listeners here. Sure thing. Let's begin with Per from Sweden, mm. who was very pleased that we pronounced his name correctly last hey. time he wrote in. Look We're very that. careful about that sort of thing. Yeah, we do our best. Uh, so Per writes to us again. Um, wonder if you wonder if uh, I wonder if you, uh, uh, Paul and Ben. Sometime in your program, you can talk about spiritualism and what you think about its explanations when it comes to spirituality and the supernatural. If I understand correctly, you are quite critical of spiritualism. Um, would you like to explain why and elaborate on that? That would be interesting. Thank you. Okay, well, I'll start. Uh, spiritualism as a religion, sort of with a capital S, originated uh, pretty much in the 1840s with the Fox with sister. sisters yeah. in New York State. And uh, it was based on what we consider to be totally outdated uh, science, if you want to call it that. Uh, dead people, spirits, you know, which as such are a problem for us. Now, we have other ways of explaining that, which might amount to the same thing, but our approach is very different. So, um, our very first guest on this show... Uh, it was on our second show, and it was a spiritualist leader. And uh, we, I'm, I I'm struggling to remember who was that. Uh, Martinez. Oh, yeah, doctor. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Lo- yes. Lovely person, but the ideas were very uh, old school, in my opinion, very retro, and just didn't fit with what we were saying. It was back in 2008. Uh, so anyway, I, I just. Don't think it's good, any of it's good enough. And we had a cousin who was a spiritualist minister, and we used to, and this is back, you know, 50 years ago, we used to go around and around, not, not argue, but discuss. So, Ben? Um, I mean, I, I think it's, it's fascinating because it was such a reaction to its time. I think it was kind of like a, I mean, I mean, think think of the time that they they existed in, right? You know, the industrial revolution. There was there was this whole idea of oh, science, and, and science was almost kind of like a magical thing, and it was it was all based on like the, the material world. So you know, of course, you're going to have a, a of a reaction of the opposite kind, kind of appear, which would be spiritualism, which kind of I, I guess is is just sort of modern day Platonism. 
um, in in a sense, right? Because it's it, it focuses a lot on the uh, the the dichotomy between material and, and spiritual, and it's like you know they don't they don't mix; they're two different things. And I think really the the big criticism that I, I would have of it is it just it just doesn't really take on the whole picture. It kind of hype, it kind of focuses on this sort of like this reaction to you know the the ultra materialist sort of viewpoints at the time. And it's like, okay, well, you know, it's just, well, we're going to focus on the spiritual stuff. Take, take that, you know, you, 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 you engineers. <laughs> like, there's really, there's, there's, that's really kind of, kind of it. And there's really no depth to it. It, it has sort of, it's kind of like a, like a pond. It's like a big pond, or it's like a pool, like a, or like a puddle. It, it looks really deep and then you step into it and it's like, oh, that's, that's it. Like bar- barely goes up to your shoe. It's just it, but it it looks it looks more mysterious and mystical. But it doesn't really go anywhere. I I kind of look at the the fruit that it bears, which is just like okay, well, do you see people kind of becoming better people out of it? Sometimes, I you know, arguably. But at the same time, it's it's kind of like well, where does it lead you to? And you know, is is it really about sort of bettering oneself, or is it about controlling the world around you by trying to control spirits? That's that really. It's the the end game that I, that I question. And Matt, well, my opinion of spiritualism is it for people that don't like structured religion or are into any type of stylized dogma. This just gives them a form of comfort. It's a comfort belief system. In other words, I know that there's something beyond what I'm dealing with here, and that makes me happy. They don't have any real rules per se, and just like other religions, they they all all of the spiritualist places I've been to, spiritualist churches and, and and groups and stuff like that. Just like every other religion, they're all fractionated. They they have this group has their rules and their beliefs. This you know it's different from each one you go to. Each spiritual minister has their own view and its flavor from their point of view and the things they've read. Same thing with, you know, the spirits that come through. I noticed that in certain spiritualist churches that I've been to, this particular spirit or this particular guide always comes through. And you go to another one, it's this spirit and this guide that comes through. Why aren't they all talking between these? Why don't they all visit... You know, why aren't these spirits going to these other... They don't have a family plan. That's a <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily harmful. It provides a little bit of you know, a safety net, mental safety net for people to think that there's something that goes beyond. But you're right. They really don't have any depth to them in, in terms of their beliefs. I think you bring up something really important, which which is sort of... This is... I had a very odd experience um, the other day. I, I've, I've been kind of fascinated by what's going on in the world of artificial intelligence and how and how quickly that's kind of advancing. And there is there's like you can have like conversations with AI, which is super super interesting. And I had I had a conversation with one that was that was they called it Socrates, and it, it was. It was basically like it did the Socratic method, so you would ask a question and then you'd kind of discuss as, as time went on. And honestly, it was very interesting, and it was enlightening because I had this sort of realization that as time has gone on, because um, it, it brought up this whole this whole thing of like 
like yeah, we, we were we were talking. <laughs> it, it sounds very grim, but we were we were talking about death and how reality kind of is is sort of in in a state, and like, can we ever kind of move through reality and understand it fully? And I kind of I kind of said, well, it, it the the way that it is now, it's very fractured. The way that we exist as people is very fractured, <clears throat> and because <clears throat> we break everything apart. You know, we we look at the macrocosm, right? The macrocosm yeah. of the world around us. Everything's broken apart. Everything's broken into bits. Everything's diff- going on in different layers, right? Someone could be giving a very important speech to the UN, and you know, a war could still be going on somewhere else. But everybody focuses on one event at a time, rather than realizing, oh, all this is happening at the same time. And so, because we kind of lose track of this, and everything's kind of fractured, every we ourselves are fractured. And so, when we interact with other people, it's, you know, it can be, there's, there's more, there's more loneliness now, there's you know, higher rates of, of suicide, unfortunately, there's, there's just big divides between everybody, because as, you know, we are microcosms of the macrocosm, we're reflections of our reality around us. And so, I, I believe that the, that the, the greater sort of problem is that, because this the idea of spiritualism kind of just like it just separates reality and we focus only on this one portion of it you, you miss the whole picture and so of course you're going to fracture because you're not fixing the whole you're you're fracturing right. it you know what you know what i mean well my biggest problem with spiritualism is that you don't know what you're talking to no, that's well they're yeah. very trusting the ones i've known and uh, the biggest problems I've ever seen in cases is people using seances and these other sledgehammer techniques to break through what a physicist would call the membrane between parallel worlds. You don't know what's over there. And and uh, we just f- finished a chapter on mimics for Tim Schwartz's new book on mimics and, of course, paranormal mimics. And uh, time and time and time again over the last 52 years I've run into this. Uh, things pretending to be something else that's good in order to eat. What are they eating? They're energy parasites. That's what I've seen. And, and now here's one from Stephen in Texas who sent this, which I think is very uh, much of a follow-up to the spiritualist question from Pear. Ha! We, we love when the show questions coincide. Um, so the question, well, question and or statement is, according to science, ghosts cannot exist. This is because if they exist, they will be made up of pure energy as by definition, they do not have any matter. So to stay forever, they would need some continuous supply of energy. Also, if they exist, they won't be able to disturb you because they will be spending their own energy, uh, which is going to reduce their lifespan. It's all thermodynamics. Well... As a scientist who studies ghosts, I can say he is not completely correct. They do conform to the laws of thermodynamics. Hmm. In my experiences, you, you and you understand the lore when you're feeling the coldness in the room, hmm. right? That's only happened to me once in half a century. I well, don't get it. Well, I've I've experienced it in a couple of different places and using meters yeah. to record it in terms okay. of scientific terms. It's conforming to the laws of endothermic reaction. It's drawing energy, heat from from the room to to produce work. Work produces exothermic reactions because when things move, the objects usually wind up hotter than the room around them. Around 
the object, and I've measured that with uh, thermal cameras. So it is still conforming to the laws of thermal dynamics. Mm. Now, if you really want to get into it, entropy goes into play because we're not looking at ghosts of dinosaurs and things of that nature. Well, we we uh, have to take exception to that. Well, According I'm saying to some listeners anyway, yeah. which we believe were time slips. Good. But but I'm saying usually the spiritual energy if that's what's happening, you know, Einstein said energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only changed. Mm. We are made up of energy. That energy has to go somewhere. But that energy also has a finite uh, span. That's where you get into the entropy thing. Is huh. So your frequency, your energy frequency that when you cross over it leaves your body, you're able to manipulate other energies, you know, the endothermic, exothermic, until it gets to a point where your energy is no longer cohesive enough. That signal has now been spread out too far mm-hmm. to be able to effectively uh, affect your environment. So his statement isn't, I'll say, 100% correct. Okay. Well, Steve, thank you for sending that in. Very interesting. He wanted our reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, ben? Um, well. You're taking I, on the scientist of the world. Yeah, no, I'm not a, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a scientist. I just play one on TV. Um, I don't even do that. No, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I always wanted to say that joke. That's probably why. Um no, I, I guess that, that makes a lot of sense because I've never had anyone really explain the whole cold in the room thing, but that makes a lot more sense um, than just, oh, it's just spooky ghost here. <laughs> um, and plus, it's, it is... It is uh, that, that, hmm. I, I do find it odd that there's some sort of sentience in, in the, to the energy in that sentence that it would be concerned with keeping its own life force and wanting to stay alive. That's a very ironic way of putting it. Um, I guess really it's, a lot of it is just, just undiscovered science, you know. I think, I think Mark D'Antonio kind of hit it on the head when he yep. calls it undiscovered science because it's like we're, we're, we're getting there, I think. Um, and, and I, I think it's, it's, it's a mix of a lot of different, different parts, you know. There, and I, I wish there was a simple explanation, but there just isn't. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a show here, really. <laughs> so, not so much as, Undiscovered science is uncorrelated science. There mm. are things going on that we are looking at in scientific man- means here or manners here, mm-hmm. and in here we just haven't correlated why why one isn't connecting with the other or one is connecting with the other. We're, we're looking at you know it's the equivalent of you know blindfolded people trying to touch an elephant and giving a description. You know what I'm saying? I'm well, I see just this big tree trunk. Well, I've got this, you know, now, you know what I'm saying? That analogy of that's what we are in science when we're looking at the unexplained. Mm. We're all looking at our little area and giving our explanation of one big whole part. Mm-hmm. If you step back and you put all this stuff together, you can build the elephant, so to speak. We're, mm. Right now, we're all just touching our own individual parts. I know you're not the guest here, but I can't help but ask you this, Matt. Okay. Uh, this is a question we always pose, uh, and it, it if ghosts are, are in, uh, correct in the classical sense, they're not 
people seen, who never died seen across the boundaries of the worlds that we, as we believe they are. If the, if reincarnation is true, why are there so many ghosts? Well, how many people are there that have already passed that haven't come back? Well, I don't know. But exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's well, there's saying. the answer. That, that's good. You know, um, we've had, well, I think the, the math on it somebody did a while ago. The amount of people alive today is roughly the amount of people that ever lived throughout yeah, history. Heard that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Hmm. Thank you, modern medicine. Right? Uh, I'm just saying, you yeah. Know, have all of those souls, if you're believing in reincarnation, back here already. So the limited are the, the, the minor number that flops back and forth between the constant of what we are right now for that total. Yeah. That's a whole show right there. But for now, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's let, a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. Hmm. Let's uh, continue with Carter from Queenstown, New Zealand. Yes. Okie dokie. Uh, so, Carter writes to us, uh, I have heard your statements about our concept of time affecting all our uh, beliefs about life, death, and the paranormal, especially reincarnation. I believe you are right in many cases that our beliefs depend on how we experience and interpret things. With all that in mind, is there any way to tell what is an ancestral memory and what is reincarnation slash a parallel life memory? That's a really interesting question. All I can say is that this young lad here, when he was, as soon as he was able to talk, was talking about all sorts of parallel lives, what I thought was, uh, other people that he was, and, and this sort of thing, which really impressed the heck out of his father. So, uh, I think that, um, reincarnation, in, in my opi- opinion, uh, since there is no past, there is no future according to special relativity and all, you know, the time studies, quantum, etc. Uh, you can't really have past lives. You have parallel lives in the multiverse, that's our opinion. And whenever I've talked to regression therapists about this, they'll almost inevitably say, well gee, it's funny you should say that, because I've had subjects who under hypnosis will give a date in the future, or give a date that I don't even recognize the, the the formula for the date, you know, letters and numbers, that kind of thing. So uh, if we're right about this multiverse thing, that then that's uh, uh, reincarnation. And so ancestral memory might be kind of like the same thing. Now, now I have memories of trolley cars going down the main street of, of um, our town in Connecticut, and that they were long gone by the time I was born. So am I sharing my father's or my mother's memories? Maybe. Um, Matt, you want to? Well, the, they have noted that there are certain things in genes and genetics, genetic memory. Mm-hmm. The body remembers things right, right. genetically. Yep, yep. And why can't the brain, because it's made up of all the same genes, carry some sort of, you know, racial memory. That That's another thing that's been talked about, racial memory. Not like um, racist, you, you understand, you know. Uh, yeah, 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 of course, genetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ra- racial memory in, from back in the day that that event stored genetically because it changed their genes because of exposure to this and that. Uh, Sort of a survival thing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So why couldn't other things, you know, 
right right yeah, into that sense. as well. And yep. what you're doing is when that gene expresses, you're living that memory. Yep. Ben? Uh, there's a really interesting theory that I, I heard. I don't know if it was a theory. I guess I guess it was kind of like a like a belief um, <clears throat> in what a name means, and um, like what's what's the significance in giving someone your name, and like what's the what's the significance of having a name at all? And there's this idea that to some extent we're all an extension of our parents and our parents' parents. And I'd our be parents disturbed parents. if I were you. Well, <laughs> Next time you see me, I'll be wearing a bow tie. <laughs> um, the but the 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 point of that is what what's the significance in a name? And the idea of a name is that you're named after somebody usually very important. So, for example, you know I'm named after a guy that was shot by a bunch of Bolsheviks in Russia, but my middle name is of is the same name as my grandfather Thomas, and my last name I share with my father. And my mother, and we share these names, and we share characteristics and traits. And typically, if one you know shares a name with somebody, you'll share a characteristic or a trait. Now, there's probably nothing scientific about that, um, but the idea is that w- when we carry somebody's name, we we extend that person, we extend that that relationship. And we sort of uh, uh, we sort of become similar to them in some way, shape, or form. Like if I showed you a picture right now of the guy I'm named after in Russia, I look kind of similar to him. It's it's actually a little weird. It's like, <laughs> but then again, you could say all bald men with beards look the same. So you know, it's so I don't I don't want to plant like false things in there. But I look at it, I'm like I kind of look like him. It's a little creepy, but he was a good guy, so I'll take it. Um, and so the the, the point of this is. There's this this sort of thing that we do throughout human history. Like, what's the point of giving ourselves names anyway? You know, what's you know why would why do we even bother doing that? I I think it's it's a practice that we've done forever. That I don't know if anybody's ever really questioned before. <laughs> like the idea of names has changed too. You know, instead of you know Ben, you know Paulson or something. Like you know I'm Benjamin Eno, Paul Eno. You know. Or or whatever. It's it's one of these things that we we kind of just take now and say, okay, well, whatever. It's just a dumb symbol. Symbols mean nothing. But really, what it is is it's it's an extension of that idea of ancestral memory, right? You know, it's like through my experience of being my dad's kid, I've experienced things that my dad has experienced. And actually, there's kind of a here's a little little, little science dart I'll throw in there. Um, more than likely, if your parents uh, experience traumatic events, there's a very high likelihood you will experience traumatic events. And it's it's like, I forget the statistics off the top, top of my head, but it's very likely. Um, and it could be because of, of upbringing, environment, you know, who knows. But the, the, the thing is, it tends to travel through family lines. And all these all these different uncorrelated sciences that seem to point to okay, well, there's shared experiences throughout family lines. Then maybe that has something to do with reincarnation, but that's like way over on the other side of the table there. When you have you know psychology, neurology, like you know genetics, all those all those studies kind of on the other side of the table. There's something way on the other side that kind of offers a slightly less nuanced approach. Which is, which maybe it could be something as simple as, well, the human experience is pretty universal, I, I'd say, and we all experience it over and over and over again. 
and there's all these patterns that we experience over and over and over and over again. You know, we say history repeats itself, you know, not out of tongue in cheek, but because it actually does. <laughs> it's, it's just part of being a human. And so perhaps maybe in a less nuanced way, this idea of reincarnation could just be an explanation of ancestral memory or vice versa. Hmm. Well, on that, Matt, we got about another. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. Go All ahead. right. Uh, my take on it is a name is a tradition. Mm. That's something. And when you do family things, families, uh, you know, and culture traditionally do things repetitively. Mm. So if you're constantly doing the same thing or being, being teaching the same thing as you go down with your lineage of people, the idea of something repeating would make sense mm. because you put A plus B will equal C. And you keep doing that and you keep, oh, this keeps happening in my family. Well, you keep teaching this tradition, it's going to, you know, you're you're building the case for that thing to happen again. Mm. You know, just my own view on that. You know, why does this keep happening? Well, you keep teaching it, you keep allowing that path to happen. <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah. you, you know, yeah, if all of a sudden you change, you know, the way you raise your kids or your belief systems, that may not necessarily happen again. Now, it's interesting in terms of death and names. The Egyptians say you never truly die until the last time your name is spoken. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Kind of like the Hebrews. Yeah, well, yeah, immortality yeah. is for your children. Yeah. So stay alive, Ben. I'll try my best. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, just for a practical point of view, the names, before the Middle Ages, you had uh, Barsanupius, son of Heliogobulus, or you had uh, Bernie of Winsocket or something. Like that. <laughs> but uh, after that, as, as society got bigger, population grew, and people needed to be identified more fully, just for the sake of public order, that's where the surname really came into play. Mm. That's a simplified view of it. But anyway, uh, let's take our mid-show break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in the beautiful Blackstone River Valley of New England. And we have our great guest co-host today, Matt Moniz. We'll be right back. Do you know King Jace? King Jace the 28th, the mysterious monarch of the Woonsocket Mardi Gras, is a man from the area who is well known. Here's another clue to the king's true identity. Clue number four. King Jace loves L.A. If you think you know the name of the man who's playing King Jace, place a dollar in an official King Jace Quest envelope available at both Woonsocket radio stations and the offices of the Call newspaper on Main Street. King Jace will be unmasked by the Queen of the Mardi at Savini's Pomodoro Restaurant, Rathbun Street, Sunday, February 12th. After the unmasking, a drawing will be held from all the correct guesses, and the winner will receive $50 cash. The king and queen and her court will reign over the Woonsocket Mardi Gras festivities the following Saturday, February 18th, at the St. Anne Arts and Culture Hall on Cumberland Street. Do you know King Jace? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And we're back. It's uh, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON Radio, AM and FM. And we're back with our great guest co-host, Matt Moniz. So let's take a long question. People go to all the trouble to write these, and we should at least try and tackle. It's it's the best time to tackle them. Yes. Yes. Let us us do it. This is from Annette, and we don't know where she's from. Annette from somewhere writes to us. Uh, 
I've had life-saving encounters with divine slash god slash angels. Uh, I I needed them, quite frankly. Um, I had an intervention uh, in 1989 that was very similar to an N- NDE uh, healed instantly. Near-death experience. Yeah. Correct. <clears throat> uh, after After this, my life changed and my experience of life changed. My inner eyes were opened and I could see things I didn't even know existed. I was able to be there when several loved ones crossed the threshold into the afterlife. Uh, a lot of this was really difficult for me as I didn't, it didn't match up with my religious teachings, but I am great, I am grateful now. Uh, we are, we are never alone. I wouldn't say all these people that crossed over were perfect and, uh, some may have had some very, or made some very bad mistakes in their lives, but I have to say, they were all met with the with compassion and the deepest love and truth. The emphasis was more on what they learned from this life rather than what they did wrong. Um, even from my own perspective, being uh, witness, I dropped uh, any earthly judgments I had or emotions or judgment. And the other experiences I've had were direct communications with God, I do believe, very empathic and telepathic. A question would elicit an instant answer, uh, but the answer felt somehow already a part of me. There's an overwhelming sense of love and connection to everything which uh, you interpret as God, which is not separate. Often, these experiences would present themselves with music, the most beautiful music uh, you have ever heard. All types of music presented either through uh, God coming from the all or through various beautiful souls. From every uh, kind of description, and I understood in these uh, that we are all connected to God and this all-encompassing love. All this little stuff uh, we get caught up in uh, in comparison to that is really nothing. It distracts us. It doesn't matter what religion, uh, no religion. It's about what lives, uh, what lives in your heart, and how you speak or listen through it. And I think that uh, that is pretty profound and and hopeful and a inspiring message. Uh, you're never going to understand uh, the divine slash God truly. Unless you shed your uh, body and all that comes with it, uh, the mind gets in the way a lot. Annette. Okay. Um, I thought there was a question in there, but... uh, Eh, It was a statement. Yeah, okay. Not a bad statement, but a statement. Oh, no. She adds here at the end, I watched my mother dying last year, and because of all this, was able to be be there and help her uh, find peace, but she passed. She must have had hundreds of visitors coming to help her across. And she'd greet each one with her arms extended and smile. This, um, <clears throat> I think it's a statement. I think if there's a question in there, it's what are near-death experiences? Uh, why are do they exist, and what is their effect when people actually don't 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 die? Now I'm thinking of uh, just um, Friday night. We uh, and anybody who's friends with me on Facebook saw this saw this post. I would think uh, our cousin Rick, the the father of Rick Eno, mm. who was an occasional guest co-host on the show, very popular, uh, translated as we say in Connecticut after a long illness. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, very uh, elderly, and um, around uh, midnight. On Friday night, I smelled cigarette smoke, which nobody in our house, house ever smoked. Um, you grew up there, you know, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, 27 years we've been there. Nobody ever smoked. 
uh, probably was inconvenient from outside because the, the wind was blowing a gale and it was uh, 10 below zero. Um, so come to find out, that's when Richard translated. And when he was on uh, in his last moments, and apparently for some part of the day before that, he didn't like smoke. And his brother smoked, and he kept talking to his brother, you know, there's no smoking allowed in here, right? So um, I, if that's some weird connection, I, I, it could be. But as far as NDEs are concerned, I, I think I might have had one once, uh, and the effect was uh, rather aw- awesome, I think. It was totally unexpected. Nothing like, because you know me, nothing like anybody else ever described. It was a huge amphibian of many colors standing at the mouth of a cave. And what the hay is that supposed to be? And it was, it was utterly beautiful. Now, Matt, have you had an NDE, I think? Yeah, but yeah. you just, have you ever looked into the Aboriginal uh, creation legend? Yeah. So I you're spent done. time with the... Two shamans in different parts of the world. Well, uh, it's interesting because that's their belief of the giant salamander. Or no giant, kidding. Yeah. Well, somehow we never got to that in the conversations in Quebec and Australia. Uh, I'm talking uh, Australia, yeah. Okay. The average. Well, we talked about the dream time. So. Yeah. Uh, but their their whole thing is the gigantic lizard or multicolored oh, lizard. I, you know, I never made the connection. I totally forgot about that. Conversation was 1979. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, I don't know. When you're talking about that, it's like, because well, uh, well, I, I like, you know, creation stories and, you know, because we all have, you know, and it's interesting that we all, every culture has a creation story. Sure. Mm. And uh, if you're asking about the near death thing I had is when I was a young kid and they were taking out my tonsils and I had a reaction to the, um, medication that they used to put me under mm. i was four years old at the time and i'm trying to interpret you know didn't know much at four but i i, I just remember the floating feeling and people wow. and and stuff like that yeah but um yeah the, it's interesting that you were talking about yeah it, i saw it, you saw your face go whoa you know? yeah yeah like, okay that's the well that, right after that something literally slapped my face and said, go to the hospital, stupid. So I, and you were, I don't know, what, two? Baby. Not even that. You were just a baby. And uh, so I drove myself to the hospital. Yeah, sir, I couldn't drive you to the hospital then. No, no. Well, I forgive you. And I was there for 10 days. I had pneumonia and atrial fib going on. Jeez. Jeez. So uh, anyway, um, near-death experiences, I think, very interesting. Why do they exist? Um I think that everything that has developed in us from an evolutionary standpoint is for survival purposes. And if it has no survival value, why is it there? Yeah. You know, so it must uh, have some validity, Ben. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like there's, there's this, this, I don't want to say set definition, but there's like a very, very kind of like oddly specific criteria for um ndes and i i i want to offer a a a little like caveat to it so i've i've been i've been thinking a lot about 
<laughs> this is going to sound kind of morbid. There's there's sort of um, this old idea that there's sort of two different kinds of death. So there's spiritual and there's physical. Physical, obviously, you know, physically you die, but but spiritual, it's like you can you can spiritually be dead, but still walking around physically, right? So like you know, um, if you've ever known anybody that's that's um, you know, unfortunately ad- addicted to you know hardcore drugs, alcohol, anything like that, eff- effectively they're they're spiritually dead. Um, you know, their, their, their appearance changes, their, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very physical thing. But if you've ever, ever seen anybody that, that gets, gets clean, you know, clean, like their, their life gets better, they, they, they change, change their habits, their lives, I would argue that that is a near-death experience. Hmm. Because you, in, in a sense, it's like you can still be, you know, physically there, but you're not you're not there mentally. It's like you know you you can't be present for other people, you know, dealing dealing with anything like that. It's it's like you're not you're not really there. You're kind of just like a, a for lack of better words, a ghost, a shadow of a person that's just there. And so you know it it, it can be kind of like a near death experience because it's it's like you're you get it you you get you be, become alive again. You know, your life changes. People around you change. It's it's a it's a whole it's a life changing experience. I I would argue that that would be a near death experience as well. Okay. Uh, on the second page of that is one we did not finish. Um, I thought was oh yes 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 yes. So this is a, now for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Peter in Durban, South Africa. Uh, has a second question we did not get to last time, and it is about animals. Um, and Peter writes, I love the chapter on animals and uh, the paranormal. Have you had any more experiences since writing the book? That's uh, the book behind the paranormal, everything, and it was wrong from Schiffer, 2016 by Ben and myself. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, just last year, uh, anybody who's uh, friends with me on Facebook has seen Toby the weather cat. Okay. Yep. Ah, rest Toby. And uh, he um, was uh, quite old and was on the way uh, out. And uh, he had uh, lost a lot of weight. And I went over to visit him on his porch. And, um, you know, he was very weak, but, he, you know, he was as loving as ever. But he couldn't really move very well. I came back to our house right next door, went into the sunroom, and. Uh, did something in the kitchen and went back out in the sunroom and happened to glance out the window. And there he was, in the pink of health, standing on the little hill next to our house where he always stood to, I, I thought, predict the weather. I used to joke because he'd stand there if certain weather would occur. <coughs> Pardon me. And uh, he was staring at me with an intensity which was kind of unique to him. And uh, we had a bond. You know how you bond with a an animal or cat or dog, and it's it's you kind of unique. Mm. That's the kind of bond we had. We really loved each other, and uh, of course, I fed him a lot too. Yeah, that that probably yeah. helped. <laughs> and um, I, I called your your older brother, Jonathan. I said, "Come here and look at this," and he came out and Toby was gone. Mm. And I mean, your mom said that he was saying goodbye. And uh, there are no goodbyes in the multiverse, I, I don't think. So we had a funeral for him. He, he, he uh, translated, and uh, that was a, a very beautiful experience. I've had a lot of really beautiful paranormal experiences. 
Either you fellas had uh, pet experiences uh, in line with the question? After you, Matt. Uh, none personally, um, but I've heard several people that I know have had animals after translation come back into the home and yeah. visit with them and stuff like oh, that. Oh, we have a lot of cases like and that. And I've experienced ghost cats, one in particular in the Lizzie Borden house. Hmm. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Did they have a cat, or was it... Well, that, well, there was a cat there. That was Max, but, you know, he was living. Yeah. But there was a ghost cat that's even been photographed in the house. Okay. As you yeah. guys know, I was, like, the house investigator for yeah, many yeah. years there. Mm. And one day, uh, my sister had a friend that knew that I was one of the docents there, and I had regular access and my own key, and she's like, can you have your brother take us? And so uh, my sister, after listening to her incessantly for several days, finally came <laughs> in and said, can you bring her so that she'll leave me alone? So I brought her and my sister. My sister had an encounter with the little kids on the in the basement, and that's how the evening started because the little kid in between us went, <laughs> and that's when my sister's jaw hit the floor, and I said, <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yeah, right. <laughs> so she was playing with Max the cat, <clears throat> which was a living corporeal cat. And then she started chasing this other cat up up the stairs and described the cat that other people see, which is not Max. Hmm. And like I said, we have a photograph. And she started screaming because she was about to pet it, and it dematerialized right oh, in cool. front of her hand. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Huh. And my sister's a huge skeptic, so after that night, not so much. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Talk about playing dead, am I right? <laughs> uh, ben, you have any uh, uh, well, like that? You saw the Woodsocket Wild Man in the Woods there. Yeah, the, my, my a, pet wild man. Counts. No. Um, well, I mean, I guess really uh, my two cats are still very, very much around. Um, but when my mother-in-law passed and we were living in her house when we were trying to flip it and sell it, which was uh, the very not fun six months. Um, I'm 90% sure that there was like a parasite or something there that just like, just, it was just, it was just not a fun place. And I felt so bad for our cat, Clementine. Uh, She, (laughs) she was just like, she was a wreck. Like if, if you, if we left her out like of our room at night, because typically we would, we would, you know, grab her, bring her into our room and when we were like going to bed and just put her in her little, her little, like this little like box that we had that she slept in uh, that said little baker's treat on the side. It was, it was, it was fun. So we, we would put her in there and she would pass out and then we would pass out and we'd wake up and go about our day. But if we left her out or if she like didn't want to come up all night, she would just be running up and down the halls like something was like chasing her there was one time um where we came we were having the house flipped and there were a bunch of painters there that were painting and um my brother-in-law was like whatever you do don't let the cat out of this room like you know keep the cat in their room and so we were like okay well clementine's in the room they're like doing their thing whatever we came back to the house and keep in mind it's like march and like all the windows were open and like Prior to this, we heard, like, coyotes in the area, and they definitely got a dog. It was very sad. And so we were like, okay, all the windows are open. And so we went in, we were closing the windows, and and my wife, Marion, went up to, was going to go up to her room, and she saw the door was open. And we were like, oh, my God, Clementine got out. And, like, we, <laughs> we, were, we were running around, we grabbed the treat jar, and we were shaking it. 
because she always runs to the treat jar, and we were like, oh my gosh, we got it. We we have to find her. Like we we thought she was lost in the woods. We were running around, and I, I ran inside to like go see if I could find like any of her toys or something. And I hear a little quiet meow, and I was like, where where is that? And so. Keep in mind, my mother-in-law passed away in her room on the second floor, you know, and we never went in there. Kept the door closed, didn't want to go in there. It was a very traumatic place, did not want to, did not want to see it. So we were like, okay, well, that's kind of weird. So I, I, I was, I was, I kept hearing, hearing her, her meowing and I was like, where is she? And so I was walking around, I was walk, looking through all the other rooms. The last room I had to look in was my mother-in-law's room. So I go to the door and I turn, I turn the handle and I can't open the door. And I was like, okay. So I'm, I'm like pushing against the door and I'm getting resistance on the other side of the door. And I, I managed to just like push all, all my weight against it and all of the luggage. She had a ton of luggage for some reason. She never traveled, but she had a ton of luggage. And it was all pushed up against the door from the inside. And, uh, and like the doors to her closets were open, like, it was it was really weird and like it was on the second floor above the garage so the only way that like the the painters could get in was if they unlocked the door like unlocked the window from the inside you know put a ladder up against it climbed up you know went in pushed like <laughs> took the cap put it in there pushed all the luggage up against it it just didn't make any sense so i i, I and like there was clementine sitting on the bed and it was just like it was it was such a weird experience and like she was like freaked out. She was, was like just, weird like, even for you. She was she, she was she was freaked out. Clementine is a very like calm cat, but she was just like did not like being in there. She was just sitting there, just like like looked like very concerned. I picked her up and I like put her in our room and I was like, "This is it. You're never leaving our room again." <laughs> it, it was just not a fun time. Well, it wouldn't be a legitimate show if we didn't have at least one question from Peter Shelley in Bogota, Colombia. Mm, yes, very good questions he sends in. Indeed. always look forward to Peter's questions. Um, and Peter writes to us, uh, Are you aware of any strictly poltergeist cases with men in black? And are there any details? That's a good question. Um, looking back on it, um, I would say that there are no strictly poltergeist cases. All right. Now, again, I had early cases where I didn't know any better. I thought there were. Uh, I didn't look in neighboring homes or on the property or anything else where if you do that, you always find that there are sometimes people call bleed overs or spillovers. Ed Warren used to call it that. Uh, but he didn't spend much time on it. Uh, but in, in ensuing years, um, I, we found that uh, in the Bridgeport case the, of 74, the really famous one, uh, I wouldn't have known whether there were or not. Because uh, you know a crowd of three thousand people outside the house, there could have been a hundred men in black. You wouldn't have seen them. It's true. Uh, the big problem there was the man in blue, uh, and with the greatest respect to the the police officers who were who were terrific, there was um, Chief Superintendent Walsh, uh, or Police Superintendent Walsh in Bridgeport, who uh, put the kibosh on the whole thing just by saying, you know, we got to clear up the traffic. The kid did it. Nothing to see here. Everybody go home. So uh, the kid picked up a refrigerator. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's, it's a long story. I've written about it elsewhere, but um, actually, I would have to say, kind of yes and no. Uh, if you look at, at an expanded view of these cases, you've always got other things going on. Uh, the poltergeist activity is taking place because of a 
uh, in our opinion, because of a uh, intersect point overwash overlap of any number of parallel realities. So whoever these men in black are, where they come in, we've done whole shows on that. Um, There could be other things going on with their presence. So I suppose the real answer is I don't really know. Hmm. Uh, Matt, Ben? I I have plenty of men in black cases, but they're always almost exclusively tied to UFO things. But then again, I'm looking for them in UFO things. Never yeah. thought to look at them in a poltergeist case personally. Well, maybe the prompt for the question was that I'm always saying th- that these poltergeists that I've run into are alien. Okay. That they weren't demons in the theological sense. Other people disagree with me that last week's guest uh, would have disagreed with me on that. But I really felt they were totally other. In their presence, you feel, at least in, in I feel, this huge wash of electrical energy. And, then, and to me, that's the membrane mm-hmm. they're crossing. I've had physical um, confrontations with them on two occasions. And they were parasitical. You know, so uh, maybe if I use the term alien because I can't think of a better term. Maybe that prompted the idea that uh, there could be men in black involved. But it's alien in a very broad sense of the word. Yeah. So, um, Anything paradimensional would be alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess. In, and in the question of what are men in black? I mean, the, and the, there were reports of these people, particularly in the Mothman incidents. Ah, uh, yeah, you beat me to it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> of the 60s, where people would show up in Air Force uniforms, supposedly, and uh, veterans would recognize that they were wearing the insignia wrong in the uniform or they take like weird things like yeah they take out an ashtray like they've never seen it before. Can I have this or a pen? Yeah, I mean supposedly. So because some people have called those narratives into question, I don't know. So, Matt, your thoughts on that? Um, like I said, the the Men in Black cases that I've dealt with in conjunction with you know UFO cases, yeah, you have some that are very definitively you know. These people don't belong here. There's something odd about them and the way they're interrogating the people I'm trying to, you know, do work on. And then there are some that are very clearly, you know, human. There's no question that these guys are, you know, goons, hired goons to to run people off. I ran into a couple of guys that tried to run me off of a case, but they weren't dressed in black. These guys drove yeah. a Ford LTD with G12 plates and hmm. wearing, you know, uh, they weren't black suits. One was blue, the other was like a tawny, and one of them pointed a Desert Eagle 5.0 at me and said, you better discontinue the avenue of research well, you're currently pursuing. Way. Huh? That was pretty subtle. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that that got my undivided attention. Yeah. Mm. yeah, but like I said, they weren't in black. But well, for a long period, we had people showing up at our house uh, from the utility company, claiming to be they had ID, they had trucks, but I, something was wrong, and I called the utility company, didn't didn't know who they were. They even had trucks. Yeah, you know, and so um, they wanted to get into the house. So I never let him in, and uh, I don't know, the rest is uh, whatever. So, um, okay, well, why don't we get to our announcements? Indeed, it is, okay. it is about, that, about that time, gentlemen, 
So I guess we'll we'll start off with uh, sort of the the event that that's uh, the closest, which would be the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine. You can find us there. That's April 22nd and 23rd. We will de- debut a new presentation on mimics in the paranormal. And Matt, what's going on with you? Well, I'm going to be working on uh, UFO Expo out in Roswell, New Mexico in mid-March. I've been filming with the History Channel. It was just on Chronicle on Channel 5, you know, and I'm putting together my own little book. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I've helped so it's many people time. write books. It's, <laughs> it's like your turn now. My, I'm doing my own now. <laughs> We're going to ask you to write a forward, um, but but that's good. Channel Five in Boston for those yep. of you in South Africa, New Zealand. Okay, uh, very good. And uh, now you're going to be at some of these events too. I dare say. I yeah, think. you know they drag me in to help out, and you know. yeah, yeah. Oh, you look you, like you, some you, guy that, that knows how to do AV. You want to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we'll be at the Parafest, I should say Para Expo 2023 aboard the USS Salem at Quincy, Massachusetts. Uh, excuse me. May 19th, 21st. We'll be among the speakers and we'll broadcast live from the ship on uh, Sunday, May 21st. At this event, we will debut a new presentation, When We Die. Other events 2023 for which uh, I or we will be present include the Exeter UFO Festival in September and the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. Uh, I think we better get to what we have for next week, Ben. Uh, sure thing. Um, so next week we have, that's February 12th, uh, we will welcome the grandson of Major Jesse Marcel, uh, one of the first on scene at the UFO, uh, Roswell UFO crash in 1947, Jesse Marcel III, and Dan Holly. Or Haley. Uh, Halley. Halley. Wow, yeah. I was very wrong. And Dan Halley, a uh, mineral and laser technology expert with a law enforcement background, and they'll tell us about some new findings in the Roswell case. You can plan to call in or get your questions to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Good thing you didn't get a Swedish name there. Yeah, I know. Um, we leave you today with a thought-provoking thought from none other than Abraham Lincoln. In the end, it isn't the years of your life that count but the life in your years. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Matt Moniz. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. We will. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.